Terry and Jesse show, remember, we're called to love those in error, but we're called to love the truth even more. I'm, I'm on duty, Terry. What about you? I'm back, Jesse, from, I'm, um, I'm, I'm back from Florida. It's so good to see you back on the air. I wanted you to give our report about what you were doing. I find it fascinating, and I think people will continue to pray. I, I, there's nobody like Jess Romero running up and down the country preaching the gospel, and when he tells you what he was up to over the weekend, I think uh, this whole week, uh, you'll see that this man needs your prayers. Jess, uh, this is a great show because we're going to be praying for the Holy Father to clear, be clearer when it comes to the teaching on homosexuality because the church needs clarity rather than confusion. So they're going to take two segments on that. We're also going to give, at the end, I think this is fascinating. I remember doing it years ago. A short history of the sign of the cross. What a fascinating topic. And this will be good, too. But just, uh, just before, uh, I mean, I want to hear about what you were up to, but I want to just give one uh, good-to-know file. And it just seems we're talking about ambiguity. Archbishop Chaput, who's retired, he says something that, you know, you would say, well, why is that news? And this is precisely why it's news, because we're not getting clarity. He says, pro-abortion Catholic leaders like Joe Biden betray the faith. And so he's basically giving this talk in front of Catholics, saying that these people like Pelosi and all the things that we say all the time, they, they're betraying their Catholic roots or their faith. But it's, it's nice to hear an archbishop, a you know, high official in the church, just call it out because— they, it seems that people, are, I feel like they're afraid to say things because of the retribution that they're going to get. But here's a guy retired. What, what are they going to do to him because he calls a spade a spade? Exactly. You know, it's and it's a, I think, Terry, you and me, people should call us Captain Obvious. That's all we do is we exactly. just point out the obvious every day on this show, Monday through Friday. Yep. Here's a couple of other news items I want to put out Good. there. Border scandal, massive underreporting. The head of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, oh, yeah. ICE. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name's Tate Johnson, admitted to major errors in illegal immigration data recently exposed by the Daily Caller News Foundation. Mm-hmm. ICE had underreported the number of illegal immigrants released into the country without any tracking technology by more than 18,000 uh, 18, percent. Wow. And misreported time the out, number of illegal. Did you say 18 percent? 18,000 percent. Percent. That's oh. how much they misreported the bo- it. There is no border. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, Terry. And they misreported the number of illegal immigrants tracked with GPS technology by roughly 600%. Wow. Next, weaponization panel starts. A new House investigation subcommittee started hearings Thursday to investigate the abuse of federal power. Former Democrat Representative Tulsi Gabbard told the subcommittee, quote, agencies are being weaponized against us. They think we're too stupid to think for ourselves, close quote. The panel has the authority to issue subpoenas for investigations into agencies, including the FBI, the DOJ, and public health agencies. Next, LGBTQ operatives target a diocese. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A teacher at a Catholic parish school in Denver was fired after the Denver Archdiocese and learned. so. Yeah, exactly. Of her same-sex relationship which violated the conduct code she had signed. The teacher has aligned herself with LGBT activists and has made statements claiming there is no uh, contradiction between her behavior and Catholicism. She's absolutely wrong. Wow. Finally, Disney cuts 7,000 employees. The Walt Disney Company announced Wednesday it is trimming its payroll by some 7,000 employees. Wow. The company 
is the latest in a string of major firms to announce layoffs in the thousands in recent months, including Goldman Sachs and big tech giants like Amazon and Google. Yeah, Terry, inflation is affecting everybody now. Yeah, this is good news, actually, in one sense, that Disney's feeling the pain yes. for the crummy things that they've been doing to undermine oh. the family. I'm, a, I'm actually, I'm happy they're yes. having to uh, cut back. And you know why? Because people are going to support, I, I'm going to say it right on the air. Don't go to Disneyland. Don't go to yeah, Disney World. Exactly. Stop supporting their movies. And I'd be happy if they just closed down altogether. Yeah. That, because uh, at this point in time, in the last se- several decades, uh, they're nothing but uh, the, the, the handmaid of Satan. Amen. Let's get some soul food in our soul, Jess. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Yep. Jesus summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. What profit is there for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What could one give in exchange for his life? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this, in this faithless and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. He also said to them, Amen, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come in power, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Little Lexio Divina here. Three things jump out at me. And in, uh, in verse 34, where our Lord says, tells us to take up the cross. Yeah. Well, we know what a cross is. This is a, it's, it's a, it's an instrument, it's a Roman instrument of torture. Yep. And the Romans would force criminals to carry their cross on the shoulders usually with a crossbar to the side of the crucifixion. So our Lord Jesus is warning us, his disciples, that we must be so committed to him that we're willing to endure persecution, hardship, and even death. Uh, another word jumps out at me when, it's, when, he, when our Lord says in verse 38, when, that, when he comes again, when he comes back. What's happening here? We're talking about judgment day. The Father has given Christ the authority to judge the living and the dead. That's in the Bible in John 5, 22. And there's going to be an appointed time, we don't know when, when Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to reward the righteous with eternal life. It says that in Romans chapter 2, verse 7. And he's going to punish those who are ashamed of him with eternal damnation. That's in Matthew 25, 31. Mm-hmm. And uh, the angels are going to do the sifting. They're going to do the, 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 the dividing, the holy angels. Also, another verse jumps out at me. It's in verse, uh, uh, verse 1, chapter 9, verse 1, mm-hmm. where our Lord says that, that some of you will not taste death. So Jesus, he promises to inaugurate his kingdom within the lifetime of his apostles. And how does this start? This begins with Christ's heavenly enthronement and the birth of the Catholic church. And the authority is manifest with the termination of the old covenant when Jerusalem and the temple are destroyed with fire that terminates the old covenant. The kingdom, which is the Catholic Church in utero, while present in mystery in the church, it will be fully manifest at the end of time, at the consummation of history when Christ comes back. Jesse, that chapter 8 of Mark yesterday, uh, you know, it was very clear. There's no ambiguity in the gospel. It says, you know, who do do men say that I am? And he asked the apostles. And, you know, my John the Baptist, Elijah. Remember, we talked about this yesterday. The part I like so much at the end, he said that uh, he turned around and and, um, basically he said he began to teach that the Son of Man must greatly suffer, be rejected by the elders, 
and he spoke to them openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. See? And at this time, he turned around, looking at his disciples, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. And in regards, and I know, Jesse, I'm, I'm going to step out here, but in regards to homosexuality, uh, Peter, okay, is thinking more like the world than the gospel right now. And we're going to talk about that in the second and third segment. I'm just saying we need to pray for the Holy Father that he doesn't take the, uh, the, the worldly view when it comes to moral teachings of the church because that's a— well, that's, that's, that's against God's will. As a matter of fact, it's, it's Satan's approach to the world, not God's way. Okay. Hey, Jesse, exactly. well, real quick, I'm going to bring the smartest guy into the room. Okay. Bishop Gene, full Gene ahead. Jess, I got a book called The Meditations of the Gospel. It's put out by the Confraternity of the Precious Blood. They do the imitation of Christ. And I was reading this, so I'm going to make this uh, clear to somebody because I do a lot of counseling on the phone. And we had a person saying, oh, I feel so bad. The church is a mess. The world's a mess. Here's the advice from a Jesuit priest regarding, we look at Jesus and Mary at the nativity scene. Here's what she, our prayer could be. Dear Father of all, I want to love you in this matter sincerely and completely. Like, you know, Jesus, Mary, and St. Joseph. Teach me that love, true love, is in the will, not in the feelings. Did you hear that? Yeah. Mm. Let me never give way to moods of self-pity, no matter how high the obstacle or how hard the work. Moods have been my undoing in the past. I talk to people about this all the time, Jess. Mm, mm. Self-pity has been a constant snare. And when I live by the moods and wounds, uh, whims, I have absolutely no peace or joy, no strong, fresh sense of loving you, my Father. Just an awful, sickening emptiness of being small and loving self. Wow. Peace is for the men of goodwill, for no other. Teach me, my father. Let me be like Joseph and Mary. No self-pity, taking all with good heart and cheer. That's the advice, Jesse. If I, if I talk to people once a week on this, this topic constantly comes up with people telling me they have self-pity. That's the answer. Imim, imitate Jesus and Mary and St. Joseph. Terry, and, and, and a lot of it is, Tell me, Jeff. a lot of people suffer from just scrupulosity. Oh, yeah. And even a lot of Orthodox Catholic oh, yeah. people, Big Terry. Time. Big time. And that's not good. No. That, that, that's, that's, that is not good at all because uh, I, I'm going to quote Mother Angelica. Mother Angelica, when, when somebody would tell them, oh, Mother, this, this, that's happening and this, she would say, Mother Angelica would say, scrupulosity is the lack of being able to forgive yourself. Exactly. And a lack of trust in God's mercy. Wow. As people that keep confessing their sins again and again and again, oh, and I, I, I did this. You, you're not able to forgive yourself. Because you don't lo- you don't trust in God's mercy. Yep. That's what scrupulosity is. Not Fulton Sheen says. Yeah. You're thinking too much of yourself. Exactly. Start thinking about other people worse off than you are. Great advice, Jess. Hey, when we come back, we're going to talk about Pope Francis as uh, the increasing confusion regarding homosexuality and much much more here on the Terry and Jesse Show. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Hit it, yes. Pope Francis increases confusion on the homosexual sin. Jesse, just before you get into this, a lot of our listeners are going, Jess, where were you this past week? I, I oh, think yeah. it's important for you to communicate because 
brother, they, we need to cover you with the precious blood of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, what come? happened is the St. Thomas More Center, yep. one of the great law, the, the great law firms in this country that's yep. comprised of mostly Catholics mm-hmm. and has taken the name of a Catholic saint. Yeah. They awarded uh, President Donald Trump. They awarded him the uh, the Defender of Life Award, the St. Thomas More Defender of Life Award. Well, he should get it. Yeah. Yeah. So they had a, a gala, a ceremony uh, at his at his Mar-a-Lago residence and one of the ballrooms, he's got several ballrooms and restaurants there. One of the ballrooms, I was invited. Wow. Taylor Marshall was also invited. Good. There was a couple of the Catholics that were invited. Uh, it, it, I got invited because I wrote the book. So I'll be honest with you. I wrote the book, a Catholic vote for Trump. Uh, but they invited several, many Catholics, mostly political leaders, a few evangelicals. Uh, Mike, the pillow guy was there. I met him, <laughs> general Mike Flynn. Uh, yeah, there was some, Carrie Lake was there. Uh, and so we were there to honor President Trump with a with a dinner, and he gave us a speech. He gave us a talk to honor him for being the most pro life president of the United States. And let's, Jesse, let's make sure he 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 designated three judges. Roe versus Wade would never have gotten overturned if he didn't exactly. have those three judges. So I just I just think it's nice that they gave him credit as the St. Thomas More did. I think it's appropriate. Yeah, and he said he said that uh, that's exactly what he intended on doing. He he said I knew these three judges would topple Roe versus Wade, and he awesome. was right. He called it. He called it like a prophet. Awesome. Uh, so we awarded him with a with a Catholic pro life award, and it was uh you know they're just uh, I met great people from all around the country. I I was sitting next to Mark Houck's lawyer oh uh, at dinner and just talking to him for hours. Good. Uh, and and so we we were there, with, and and it was good for him to see that it was the Catholics that came out to honor him. Yeah, uh, there were some evangelicals that were invited, and mostly it was a Catholic event. Catholics went out there to honor him and invite him, and that was good for him to see that because he hasn't felt a lot of love from Catholics in high places, Terry. You can say that again. Thanks, Jess. Yeah. All right, yeah. let's get to this article now. I want to deliver- yeah, so Pope Francis has inaugurated a new kind of magisterium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's that? Media. Interviews. What? Yep. Amid relaxed conversations with the journalists, he addresses complex doctrinal topics that require precision and clarity. And unfortunately, he's not giving it to us. Nope. Journalists pick through his confusing expressions, looking for sound bites to turn into headlines for their media outlets, and then spread them in spread them worldwide. One could call these slogans talismanic words, in in a sense. Uh, a talismanic word is a word whose legitimate meaning is friendly and at times even noble, but it is a word with some elasticity. When used tendentiously, it shines with a new radiance, fascinating the patient and taking him much farther than he would have had, than he would even have imagined. Remember the famous response by Pope Francis, "Who am I to judge?" Mm-hmm. In 2013. The first year of his pontificate during an interview with journalists on the plane back to Rome from his visit to Brazil, Pope Francis uttered the famous phrase, who am I to judge? It was immediately turned into thunderous headlines. Again, this talismanic phrase expression, which took a life of its own, became famous. T-shirts were printed with it. I saw homosexuals walking with oh, yeah. T-shirts in Hollywood, West Hollywood and yep. San Francisco. They were on yep. YouTube. Yep. Uh, it characterizes the Pope's teaching concerning sin against nature. Mm-hmm. And Father James Martin, the homosexual movement's leading Jesuit promoter, 
says that Pope Francis's expression signaled, quote, a dramatic shift in tone from free previous popes, close quote, since they usually employed a, uh, Father Martin says, quote, a condemnatory and accusatory language. I think that was the beginning. In other words, Pope Francis, who am I to judge? Yeah. That was the beginning of the opening of the door in his pontificate to LGBT people, according to Father James Martin. Now, wow. this new modernist statement, being homosexual is not a crime. I got something to, or Isaiah the prophet has something to say about that. Oh, I that. think the Bible does, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Almost 10 years later, after he says, who am I to judge? Yep. 10 years later, now he's saying being homosexual is not a crime. Pope Francis' latest phrase on homosexuality aroused the same excitement in the media and the homosexual movement. In a lengthy January 24th, 2023 interview with the Associated Press, he declared that being homosexual is not a crime, but a sin. However, much of the media highlighted only the first part of the statement that homosexuality is not a crime. Let me correct, offer a correction here, Terry. Sure. Huh? And, 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 and believe me, Jesse, out of humility, yes. the Holy Father should accept these things because you know what? Yes. He's not perfect. Go ahead. Yes. Isaiah the prophet, chapter 59, mm-hmm. verse 2 in the New American Bible which is the official translation of the USCCB. So I'm quoting the official, I'm not going to the Dewey Reams. No. The official translation of the USCCB, Isaiah 59 verse 2, contradicts Pope Francis right. or corrects him. It says this, the, the prophet says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says this, quote, Rather, <coughs> it is your crimes mm-hmm. that separate you from your God. It is your sins that make him hide his faith face so that he will not hear you close quote notice what isaiah the prophet inspired by the holy spirit just did right now he uses the word crime and sin interchangeably right in other words it means the same thing in the bible so when pope francis says homosexuality is not a crime isaiah the prophet says is it a it, it is a crime I'm going to go with Isaiah the prophet inspired by the Holy Spirit, Terry. Yeah, and Jesse, the clarity is what we're looking for. The Bible is very clear. Repent and believe in the gospel. You know, why do I keep saying that? It's because it's a simple message. It seems like it's getting, you know, uh, uh, you know, complicated, but it shouldn't. Jesse, in this article, I, I thought it was, you know, I have to give Pope Francis, he stated that homosexuality is a sin, says Pope Francis. He said, I was simply referring to Catholic moral teaching, which states that every sexual act outside of marriage is a sin. Obviously, one must keep the circumstances in mind which diminish or annul guilt. Now, really? Well, Jesse, um, the Catholic Church teaches, and I just want to say this, traditional Catholic morals have always sustained that intrinsically evil acts never cease to be sinful because of circumstances. St. John Paul II affirmed this in his encyclical Veritatis Splendor, 1993. In teaching that the existence of intrinsically evil acts, the Church accepts the teaching of sacred Scripture. And I would ask the Holy Father to accept the sacred teachings of sacred Scripture. The Apostle Paul emphatically states, Do not be deceived, neither the immoral nor adulterers, no, I mean, adulterers, and uh, nor sexual perverts, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkens, 
nor revivals, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So I, I only want that to be clear because this is not your opinion, Jesse. This is God's word. And on the food chain, it's the highest. I mean, Pope Francis is the vigor of Christ. He's not the superior of Christ. The Bible is higher teaching than any opinion of a exactly. pope. That's all I wanted to make it clear. And also, right there in, in 1 Corinthians 6 that you just read where yeah. it says, nor se- what does it say, nor, nor sexual perverts? Yes, nor sexual perverts, yeah. yeah. My translation says, mine says, mine's clear, mine says nor sodomites. Yeah, well, you know why, Jesse? When the American, this is the American Bible, yeah. it does many, think about certain other things in, in Romans yeah. that they don't really translate in a very clear teaching. And so... You know, it so, is yeah, what let, it is. Let me translate it for them. Yeah, go ahead. So the word in, the word that you read, sexual perverts, in my Bible says nor sodomites. Yeah. It's the Greek word arsenokotai. There you go. Arsenokotai. I, I, I opened up my Thayer's Greek New Testament lexicon, page 75. Yep. Arsenokotai means a male who lies with another male as with a female yeah. in sodomy. Well, Jesse, that's the fact. And, and believe right me, this, this problem has, hasn't been just in the last 10 years. We've been dealing with this homosexual problem for decades in the church. And um, let's just be honest. It needs to be, this needs to be exposed, and it needs to go right back to the Word of God and say, look, you know, this is, this is why St. John Paul II, the Polish Pope, continued. He said, if acts are intrinsically evil, a good intention or a particular circumstance can diminish their evil. I get that, but they cannot remove it, Holy Father. They remain admittedly evil acts perceived in themselves. They are not capable of being ordered to God and to the good of the person, as for acts which are themselves sin. St. Augustine writes like this, and he said, Thief, fornication, blasphemy, who dare affirm that by doing them for good motives, right, they would no longer be sins, or what is even more absurd, that they would be sins that are justified. So, Jesse, for thousands of years, the church has been very clear on this. And, and I just want to throw one more well, thing. Before. No, Terry, a yeah. doctor of the church yeah, yes, come just on. corrected yes. Pope Francis. No, not Isaiah me. Isaiah the prophet exactly. just corrected Pope Francis. Humbly accept. That's why we pray every Thursday night for the pope, the bishops, the priests. We ask them to confirm us in our faith. Ambiguity is does just the opposite. It doesn't confirm us. It makes people, like I get calls all week long, hey, my Baptist friend, I had dinner with him. Why is the Pope uh, approving homosexuality? You see how Pope how this gets messaged out to the world, Jess? This is a worldly view. We want, as you know, a godly view, a scripture view over anybody else, even the Pope. Yes, so, uh, what about the salvation of souls? Good. That's it. That's the ultimate question. Yeah. Let us note that in this view and in other interviews, Pope Francis does not seem concerned with the church's goal proper. Right. Which salvation is of souls. the salvation of souls. He deals with everything such as politics, economics, ecology, yeah. but does not mention when dealing with morals, the need for conversion and the practice of virtue. In this interview, the Pope uses the word conversion only to refer to African bishops who are supportive of laws criminalizing homosexual practice and his own conversion in the fight against sexual abuse inside the church. However, he does not say that people who engage in homosexual acts should convert. 
Jesse, let me jump in because I got an article. Pope was in Africa last week with the Anglican bishop and the Presbyterian leaders denouncing anti-gay sentiments. It's an article here in Religious News Service. And the problem is uh, that he uh, is just basically giving a worldly view on this issue of homosexuality. And even the, the Catholic bishops in Africa, he's telling them to convert to have that view, and the Anglican, I'm um, excuse me, and the bishops in Africa are going. He's no, trying no, to no. convert to modernists. No, to do. and they rejected that. And they say, "Well, no, we're not going to become modernists. We're going to hold fast to the deposit and, of faith." And look at he's, their churches; they're growing. Yes, yeah. he he's telling them, Terry, convert to liberation modernist theology. That's what he's saying. And, and you see, even when a pope tells me that, I have to reject it because no. the scriptures don't support what you're saying. You're and, listening to the yeah, Terry and yeah, Jesse yeah. show. We're going to talk about a double standard coming up with Cardinal Burke and the other Cardinals regarding the dubia from like seven years ago. Stay with us, family. Wow, Jesse, this is amazing. Let's talk about Cardinal Burke and the dubia and tie this into what we're talking about, ambiguity. Go ahead, brother. Yep. Yeah, Terry, we need more clarity at this oh, time in the church. Big time. We don't need more dubious or imprecise statements no. from Pope Francis. There's a huge double standard mm-hmm. in the way Pope Francis leads the church. And what do I mean by that? And I'm saying it with all due respect. It is respect. Invoking Canon 212 in paragraph 907 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. In September 2016, four cardinals, Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke, patron of the Sovereign Order of Malta, Walter Cardinal Brandmuller, former president of the Pontifical Committee for Historical Sciences, Joachim Cardinal Meisner, former Archbishop of Cologne, and Carlo Cardinal Cafara, former Archbishop of Bologna. They submitted a series of dubia questions to Pope Francis on doctrinal points that are handled ambiguously in the Apostolic Exhortation Amoris Laetitia. That's right. Okay, well, it's been six years, Terry. I know, we're still waiting. Pope Francis has still not publicly answered these dubia doubts of the cardinals, two of whom, Miser and Kafara, have already died. They've gone to their eternal reward. Right. Nevertheless, Pope Francis immediately... There's the double standard. ...answered Father James Martin's dubia on whether homosexuality is a sin. The interview to the Associated Press... That was on January 24th, and Father Martin received the above-mentioned handwritten affectionate and confusing answer to his dubia on the 27th of January. Before you continue, Jesse, yeah, I know this is bad, (laughs) but Jesse, this is why ambiguity is bad. But think about Pope Francis bringing Cardinal Robert McElroy uh, up as a cardinal from San Diego with knowing that... You know, in the Jesuit magazine, American magazine, January 24th, he made the distinction that saying this, are you ready? The distinction between orientation and activity cannot be the principal focus for such a pastoral embrace because it inevitably suggests dividing the LGBT community into those who refrain from sexual activity and those who do not. Now, Jesse, here again. This is wrong. You've got a cardinal who was blessed by the Pope who's saying that it makes no difference if you're a, a sodomite, active sodomite, you know, you're actively doing homosexual acts. That's okay. Whether you just have the proclivity towards uh, same-sex uh, men or if you're a man. You're, uh, 
This is a, a distinction that the church makes right in the catechism. And this cardinal, who the Pope brought up to be a cardinal, knowing that he was gay-friendly, so to speak, mm-hmm. is, is teaching something that's contrary to the catechism. And these guys even say, James Martin, the catechism of the Catholic Church needs to change. And by the way, these men say this. Are you ready? The Bible is wrong. And see, again, the Holy Father has this job to confirm us in our faith, and he seems to be bringing people like Cardinal uh, McElroy up as a cardinal in the church, knowing that he doesn't support the teachings on homosexuality. That's not just ambiguity. That's just plain wrong. Yeah, that's uh, this is the modernist infiltration into the Catholic Church. It's been happening for decades, and, yeah. it, and, it's, and it's still happening. It hasn't stopped. No. So th- let's... Uh, Let's not forget the law of God is immutable. Exactly. And, and it, which means that not even a pope can change nope. God's law nope. because it's above his pay grade. Nobody can change God's law. <laughs> Ambiguity and doctrinal confusion are not part of the church's perennial magisterium. Her guide, the Holy Spirit, is a spirit of truth, according to John sixteen thirteen. Furthermore, as the First Vatican Council taught when defining papal infallibility, it said the following quote, listen carefully, quote, for the Holy Spirit was not promised to the successors of Peter that by his, and in other words, that by the Pope's revelation, exactly. they might disclose new doctrine. No, it's important to say. But that by his help, the Pope's help, they might guard secretly, they might guard si- sacredly. That's their job. The revelation transmitted through the apostles and the deposit of faith and might faithfully set it forth. So Vatican I was very clear. Yes. A pope cannot give us new doctrine. That's Mormonism. Yes. That's what the Mormon presidents teach. They call this, uh, you know, every couple of years. Doctrine or something. Yeah, it's a... It, I forget the, the term, but it's a, it's like a development. that they, they just keep going on, going. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, and, they, and they receive new light, the Mormons will yeah. say. The, uh, that, that Catholicism doesn't yeah. buy that. Death of the, the last apostle, divine revelation ended. They defeated. That's it. That's it. So in this thick doctrinal fog, let us invoke Mary. Remember, she's the crusher of heresy. So anybody listening to the show should be praying the rosary every day. Exactly. However, thick the mist, the mists, divine providence mysteriously allowed to envelop Holy Mother Church, testing our faith in this terrible crisis. Let us not forget our Lord's words. I am with you all days, even to the consummation of the world. Matthew 28. Oh, Remember in Fatima, yep. Mary, Mary Most Holy Promise, finally my immaculate heart will triumph. And so may she grant us courage and fidelity to hold fast to the church's perennial magisterium and not be led astray by Pope Francis' confusing statements. Well said. And Jesse, you know, all of us listening have been in churches where you hear a deacon or a priest say something that's just totally outside of what the perennial teachings of the church are. I had that happen today. I made reparation. The deacon was talking today that what I tell young people when they say they don't find time to go to church on Sunday, I tell them, well, why don't you figure out another day to go and just do it that way? And I'm standing going, are you kidding me, dude? Where did you go to school? And Jesse, I'm in the same diocese right now. I work with men that are you know, wanting to be deacons. And I tell him, hey, man, don't say, don't, don't say what, where you're at because you won't be ordained. Two years into it, they said, oh, yeah, deacon such and such. What are your thoughts about women's ordination? He says, well, I, I'm with St. John Paul II, and it's clear that the church has no authority to do it. Well, we think you're now not qualified to be a deacon. You see, Jesse, 
this is the kind of church we're in. So what what can we do? Make reparations. So when that deacon said that wrong thing about what the church teaches about Sunday worship, I said, you know what? I'll get down on my knees uh, and say the Fatima prayers, reparation, because we're all going to hear that. But don't get mad. See, mm-hmm. getting mad, you lose your peace. I still had my peace. I feel bad for the dude, and he's not going to want to hear from me. You know why? That's the same dude that threw me out when I wouldn't wear a mask in the church one day. <laughs> so I'm, he's consistent in my book. We need yeah. to pray for him. That's what we do. Here's another section of the article that's worth mentioning that we passed up. It says, um, then comes a statement that has been spread, being homosexual is not a crime. Yeah. This is- it, it's, yeah, it's not a crime. Yes, but it is a, it is a sin. So this is what Pope Francis has said. Yeah. And Pope Francis says, well, first, let us distinguish sin from crime. Right. Pope Francis added. But the lack of, ch- of charity with one's neighbor is also a sin. How are you doing in this regard? Close quote. <laughs> and then the article says, although Pope Francis says that homosexuality is a sin, he implies it is a sin like any other. For example, the lack of charity towards one neighbor, towards one's neighbor. He's equating both those. Moreover, in asking, how are you doing in this regard? He implies that everyone sins in some way or another. So it is wrong to single out homosexual acts. But since the practice of sodomy seriously undermines the moral order, it was included among those sins that cry out to heaven for vengeance. According to scripture, these sins are voluntary homicide, sodomy, oppression of widows and orphans, and depriving workers of their just wage. That's what the Bible says. Yeah. So the, the Pope seems to, there's like a, there's an implication. Disconnect, that, man. Protestants believe all sin is equal. Yeah. And the and the Pope seems to equate I know. mortal and venial sin. And, and when, you read not, the, when you read the I article. I agree with you. That's exactly yeah. what he's doing. So he's, he implies that the Pope is implying that all sin is a sin. But remember, Catholicism 101, we have venial sin. That's right. Then you have mortal sin. That's right. And then you have the four sins that cry out to heaven for vengeance. I would call these mortal sins on steroids. Of course. So So here's the question. That he was asked of him, does homosexuality stem from the human condition? And a little later, the Pope repeats this. He says this, quote, and being homosexual is not a crime. It is a human condition. That's what the Pope said. explaining sin away. I'm sorry. Yeah. So while the article says, while this phrase is unclear, Pope Francis seems to be saying that being homosexual is part of the human condition and that therefore cannot be criminally or morally censorable. That's not what well, the church Terry, teaches. I, I can quote you right now eight medical doctors yeah. and eight different medical studies that I have in front of me yeah. that say nobody is born a homosexual. Exactly. Now remember, Pope Francis is the Pope. He's not a medical doctor. He doesn't have degrees in medicine and science. So when it comes to medicine and science, go to the doctors. I have eight university studies, eight different doctors, eight different medical studies that say Nobody is born homosexual. In other words, Terry, what I'm saying is that that's simply pure propaganda and diabolical deception using the media and culture to produce this mass psychosis upon the average low information American. And Pope Francis has just added to the confusion. Well, Jesse, we we had the reading from the Gospel of John or Mark today, chapter eight. And and again, I'm going to read before we get to this next topic. I'm just going to repeat what I said. We want a, a world biblical view, not a view from the world. In other words, the world's is saying that, hey, whether you're homosexual, whatever, it doesn't matter. But that's not what the church teaches with the scriptures. And so I would just ask our Holy Father 
to have more of a biblical worldview than a manly view of the world because Scripture condemns worldly views. And I, I want to see the Pope, you know, be the, uh, be the confirmer of our faith. I, I'm disappointed because of all of his ambiguity and not uh, affirming us in our faith. And I'll just make one more comment. Many of the good guys that are out there, they seem to be punished for teaching the orthodox teachings of the church, whether they're priests or cardinals or bishops. I mean, I have a friend who's a, a bishop who, who said that he got condemned because he's teaching the perennial teachings of the church by a nuncio. I mean, what's that about, Jess? This is what they're, they're taking the lead from the vigor of Christ Pope Francis because of his lack of confirming us in our faith People are just saying, well, what do we believe? And that's undermining the church. That's right. You're listening to I the Terry it. and Jesse show. Yeah. I'm talking. Uh, we're going we're gonna to move on to another topic up next. We're going to be talking about a short history of the sign yeah. of the cross. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, this is probably the most common thing that Catholics do. Yep. The sign of the cross. So we're going to do a, 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 a little exegesis on the history of the sign of the cross and why it's so important and why it's so powerful. I want to let you know the Spiritual Warfare Conference is sold out, but you can still watch it online by going to vmpr.org or calling us at 877-526-2151. And register still for that, and you'll be able to be it. We also have a men's conference on the 17th of June with Jesse Romero and Johnny Romero. Check that one out. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Jesse, great to have you back today. Uh, I love uh, the fact that we're centering our life on Jesus Christ every day here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And this topic from Word on Fire, a short history of the sign of the cross is what's a great way to end the week here at Virgin Most Powerful. Yes, absolutely. During the Reformation of the 16th century, yep. some Protestant Christians repudiated <laughs> the sign of the cross because yeah. they judged it to be superstitious. Yeah, it was Catholic, too. We can't do that. we got to <laughs> separate exactly. ourselves. But Martin Luther, the chief heretic himself, did not abandon it, the sign of the cross. And in fact, he recommended the practice in his small catechism in an appendix on family prayer. I right. didn't know that. I did. I did know that. Yep. Okay. Because I've seen the catechism. I, they still have it published in Lutherans. Go ahead. Today, athletes who sign themselves for good luck at sporting events reinforce the opinion that it is a superstition. But basketball players at the foul line were not the first to abuse a gesture by ascribing to it magical powers that could be turned into dubious personal advantage. As early as the 6th century, St. Caesarius, who died in 542 AD, he was the Bishop of Arles and one of Christianity's first best-selling authors. <laughs> he rebuked Christians who signed themselves with the cross right. while on their way to steal or commit Can you adultery. imagine this, Jesse? <laughs> uh, you know what I was going to say? Um, some of my police friends told me, they're undercover cops, yeah. that they would be following a bad guy, and the bad guy would go into the exactly. church— Oh, you know this, and say yes. his prayers, and then go do his crime. Same with the cartels, Terry. Oh, okay. They'll make this, yeah, okay. yeah. And same with the Italian <laughs> mafia. Nothing's Italian changed, mafia. Jesse. Nothing's no. changed. But no trace of superstition or magic marred the sign of the cross in its origin. While no direct evidence exists, it seems clear from circumstances that the holy gesture had its roots as a prayer in apostolic times. Mm -hmm. Fourth century father of the church, St. Basil, who died in 379, yeah, 
said that the apostles, quote, taught us to mark with the sign of the cross those who put their hope in the Lord, close quote. That is, those who presented themselves for baptism. So early Christians probably learned to make the sign of the cross at their baptism when the celebrant marked them with it to claim them for Christ. Right. There is some evidence for this in Scripture. For example, St. Paul reminded the Ephesians that they received the sign, the, the sign at baptism when he said, quote, You have been stamped with the seal of the Holy Spirit of the promise. Close quote, 1 Corinthians 1.13. And Paul may have been speaking of his being signed with the cross at baptism when he told the Galatians that, quote, I carry branded on my body the marks of Jesus, close quote, Galatians 6.17. I'll say more about this later, but but for now, I merely want to show you that the sign of the cross originated among people who were not far removed from Christ himself. Early Christians used the thumb or index finger to trace a little cross on their foreheads. They associated the practice with references in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 7 amongst the Jews. And also in Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, Revelation 9, 4, and Revelation 14, 1 all of which describe believers bearing God's seal on their foreheads. That mark, we know from Ezekiel 9-7, was a cross. The Greek letter tau that was written as a capital T and stood for the name of God. Origen, who died in 253 AD, a 3rd century theologian and spiritual writer, commented on the Ezekiel passage by quoting a writer who said the following, quote, the shape of the letter T, capital T, presented a resemblance to the figure of the cross. Mm -hmm. And this represented a prophecy of the sign that Christians make on their foreheads. For all the faithful make this sign when they undertake any activity, especially prayer or reading Holy Scripture. So by the third century, Christians frequently marked their foreheads with a cross. They also trace the little sign on their lips and breast, as we still do today when the gospel is announced at Mass. And they made the sign in the air as a blessing over persons and things. Tertullian, for example, told of a woman who signed her bed. And St. Cyril of Jerusalem described Christians tracing the cross, quote, over the bread we eat and the cups we drink, close quote. Using the sign of the cross as a blessing may have prompted some Christians to make the larger sign that we know today. But that practice did not come into use until later on. Terry? Jesse, I want to just give the story. This is a good article, too. But uh, Christians that were persecuted in Eastern Europe would put a tattoo cross on the bottom of their tricep. Where it, That was their and A doctor friend of mine told me just two years ago that, so why did you do that? Because we wanted to be marked with the Christ. We were with the cross because we were Christians. So I just say, you see how important that cross has become? Okay, yeah. opposition to the... Yeah, the, mono- the Egyptians, all, the, uh, the Egyptian yeah. Catholics and Coptic also do it yep. on the web. They put the cross on the web of their hand yep. in defiance of Islam. Yeah, you see, there you go. So yeah. opposition to the monotheistic heresy in the 7th and 8th centuries may have contributed to popularizing the larger sign. To similar, similarly refute these heretics who held that Christ had only one nature, one divine nature, instead of two natures, one human and one divine. Christians in the East began to sign themselves with two fingers or with the thumb and the forefinger. They had 
to trace a larger sign over their breasts so that the use of the two fingers to defend the truth would be visible to all. Imagine the duel that occurred when a Christian encountered a monotheocyte. The Christian would conspicuously make the sign of the cross with two fingers and hurry to the other side of the street. The monotheistic would respond with a large sign made with two fingers and walk off in a huff. The idea of that scene may make us smile. Well, it sure does. But in those days, ordinary folks tempers flares over theological issues. And Jess, they what happened? Yeah, what happened by the ninth century? In the ninth century, Christians in the East were making the larger gesture with thumb and two fingers yep. displayed, symbolizing the Trinity, and with the ring finger and the little finger folded back, mm-hmm. symbolizing Christ's two natures. In the middle of the eighth century, at a time when emperors had a lot to say about ecclesiastical matters. Uh, Byzantine Emperor Leo IV decreed that all blessings should be made with a large right cross, that mm-hmm. is, with the horizontal gesture moving from right to left. Although this proclamation applied to blessings, it was popularly adapted to the gesture of signing oneself. Wow. The Emperor's directive established a large sign as a common practice in the East. Christians of the Eastern churches signed themselves with two fingers and thumb extended, touching their forehead and moving to their, to their breast, then crossing their shoulders from right to left. How Christians came to adopt the larger sign of the cross is less clear. Apparently, after the 9th century, some Western Christians imitated the practice of the Eastern Church and signed themselves with a large right cross. But at the same time, others in the West had begun to trace a large cross over their breasts, moving their hand from left shoulder to the right shoulder. Innocent III, died in 1216, who was Pope at the beginning of the 13th century, directed that Christians sign themselves with two fingers and thumb extended. He allowed that some make a right cross and another's a left cross, indicating no preference for, for either approach. But before the end of the Middle Ages, Western Christians showed a preference for signing themselves with a large left cross. For example, a late 15th century document taught the Bridgetine sisters of, of Sion Abbey in Middlesex, England, to cross themselves from left to right. It explained that the movement from forehead to breast meant that Christ came down from heaven to earth in his incarnation. And the movement from left to right shoulder indicated that Christ at his death descended into hell and then ascended to heaven to sit at the Father's right hand. By the end of the Middle Ages, probably under the intensive influence of Benedictine monasteries, where the practice was to make a large left cross with an open hand, most Western Christians were making the sign of the cross as we do today. In every age, Christians commonly, but not indispensably, accompany the act of signing or making the sign with the words of prayer. But the prayers varied greatly. In the earlier period, they used invocations like, quote, the sign of the cross or, quote, the seal of the living God or, quote, in the name of Jesus. In later ages, they prayed in the name of Jesus of Nazareth or, quote, in the name of the most holy trinity or, quote, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The latter became the most common prayer that we use today. Yep. Christians have also used formulas suggested by the liturgy like, Oh God, come to my assistance, and our help is in the name of the Lord. This diversity of words accompanying the sign of the cross should encourage you to pray spontaneously when you cross yourselves. 21st century Christians have inherited a diversity of ways to make a sign. Today you will see people making themselves with lar- marking themselves with large left crosses, or large right crosses with an open hand or with two fingers and thumb extended, tracing little crosses on their foreheads, lips and breasts with one finger, two fingers, or with a thumb and forefinger. You may see a Latino youth make a large 
a, a large left cross yep. and then kiss a little cross made with thumb and forefinger, a practice rooted in the ancient past. You'll also see clergy in liturgical settings and lay people in ordinary situations uh, blessing and uh, uh, persons and objects with two fingers and an open and a thumb or an open hand. But no matter how they do it, large or small, with one finger, two or three or an open hand, all who sign themselves with faith are opening themselves to the Lord. Terry. I said, Jesse, in the crucifix, the cross, right, that I'm carrying in my hand, yeah. this is Friday. Every Friday we commemorate the death of Christ on the cross and the resurrection, all that taking place on Good Friday. I'm going to make a suggestion. I know, it, it, well, at the Barbers, we have a crucifix that we have be underneath my pillow, Jesse. I don't know if I've ever told you that, mm. but um, when we pray uh, at night, we hold this crucifix in our hand while we're praying, and it does give you, uh, you know, a tool to really pray better than sometimes not having, you know, yeah. anything in your hand. I mean, the rosary, right. but we have actually a, a crucifix that we were given when we made our total consecration, or where we, well, that, and also our consecration to our guardian angel. The point I'm making to everybody is maybe for Lent, practice, practice. When you pray at the rosaries in your hand, or if you're not praying the rosary and you're in you're somewhere else, keep a crucifix handy. Because if I find that when I put that crucifix in my hand, it really keeps me focused on who Jesus Christ is. And sometimes, yeah. you know, visible visible things help me because I'm a visible I'm, guys. I guess yes. are more visual. So that's what I'm recommending. Terry, there's a country. There's a country. Uh, there's a city in Bosnia. There you go. Where, ca- where Catholics, they. They get they instead of carrying bouquets when they get married they carry a crucifix to the altar and hold it the whole time during the holy mass. And And how many uh, Jesse? How many divorces have they they, had there? They've been been doing that practice for thirty years and no divorces. Zero divorces in that city in Bosnia. And that the priest will say to the guy, "Are you willing to die like Jesus Christ for your wife, dude? Yes or no? And if he says no, then get out. You're not ready. I wish we had more guys like that out there, Jess. That's right. Hey, Jess, what state should we be living in, brother? Let's uh, live in the state of sanctifying grace. Do not live in a state of mortal sin. Make the sign of the cross as often as possible. America, wake up. Don't hit the snooze button. Global warming alert. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Make sure that before you die, you leave it all out in the field for Jesus. And remember, this is Friday, so there's some form of penance we should be doing. Our Lady of Fatima said souls are going to hell because no one's there to pray and make sacrifices. Please seriously consider doing a sacrifice for the salvation of souls. Really. Up next, Bible with the Barbers. Get get our app at uh, bmpr.org. You can hear Bible with the Barbers right after this. God bless you.